Just look in the mirror. Do you, do you look at your body and go, wow, yeah, that is great. Well, see, you shouldn't. You shouldn't be happy with the way that your body is. And so we have magazines and billboards to say you should look like someone other than you, right? And it happens. You, you should drive something other than what you drive. You, you should vacation in better vacation spots. Your retirement should be this, not this. Why would you settle? And, and preachers and churches begin to get excited about this idea. Don't settle. Why would you settle? Settling is so unchristian. It's not what God intended. It's not his purpose. God is this loving God, this great God, this giving God, this generous God, and God wants you to have this as well. And so we bring that in. We, we, we take a lot of our metaphors from the sporting world, and the sporting world is never content. We would be angry if our team would say, yeah, we're good with fifth. What do you mean you're good with fifth? I don't cheer. Like, I will if you have a reason that you had a rough season. But I'm not going to cheer for a team that settles for fifth. No, 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 no. First and foremost, the, I'm, I'm a big Miami Hurricanes football fan. And uh, a number of years ago, there was this very interesting um, problem that was happening at that particular university. And uh, they were describing how complicated it was to teach or to, to coach there. And one of the guys described, he was the baseball coach for the, for the Hurricanes, and he made the comment, he said, you know, when I interviewed here at the University of Miami, I kind of realized like how serious they were, how just not content they were when, when I went to use the men's bathroom and they had a runner-up trophy for the national championship as a doorstop for the bathroom. When I heard that, I went, yeah, no runner-up here. Right? Like, doesn't that just inspire you? That, that just does. I mean, we shouldn't be content in any area of our life. Why would you be content? And that creeps into our spiritual life. And, and I would even say there, there's a good side for us to not be content with our, um, with our sanctification in Christ. That we want to be more like him. That we desire to be more like him. I love the idea of there being a holy discontent that I might know him more and love him more. We, our grow piece means that we want more. We, we talk about growing in our understanding of and obedience to Jesus Christ. Don't be content. Why would you be content? Right? We want to become more like the body of Christ. That's why we gather. We want to be more like the mission of, that God has called us to, and that's why we go. Why would we be content? And, and we as a church embrace that holy discontent. Man, we don't want to be content where Jesus Christ has called us to more and has inspired us to be more and has given us the power of the Holy Spirit to be more. But, like the Bible actually teaches pretty consistently, you should be content. Like you should be pleased where you are. You should look at your life and at your circumstances and you should be content. No matter what the culture tells you, are you content? Uh, Justin Ebert, one of, our, um, one of our youth pastors here at the church, preached in, in, in chapel when he was graduating um, from college, and I, many of us on staff got to go hear him speak. And uh, he, he preached from one of his texts that he used was from 2 Thessalonians. And again, like in our, in our colleges with our young people, they're being inspired to change the world. Like, don't settle for changing Stillwater. Anybody can change Stillwater. Change the world. 
You can put an end to, what, what's, the, what's the major problem that's happening today? You know you could put an end to sex trafficking if you just tried harder. And so there were all these change the world speeches, right? And everybody's excited. We're all going to change the world. We're not going to settle. We won't be content. And, and Justin actually preached from this Second Thessalonians text that said, the Apostle Paul speaking, you should make it your ambition to live a quiet life. We don't preach that anymore, do we? No, you, you don't want me to stand up here, do you? Ever want me to just stand up here and go, hey guys, listen, like we're doing okay in Stillwater. We should just be happy with that. Let's, let's try to be more, more kind. And let's just try to, you know, we're not going to change the world. Let's be honest. We doubt if we can even change our own neighborhoods very much. But why don't we just be happy with what we have, right? How many of you are going, wow, he's so inspiring. You go, no, 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 you kind of like it when I go, come on, we can do more than that. We can give more. Throw that number back up there, Mark. We can give more than that. People get into that. I would even argue in an unhealthy, un-Christ-like way. Like this, this text today confronts my discontent. It confronts, not my holy discontent, it, it, it confronts my I can do more, and I can be more, and I should try to be more, and that's the way it should be. No, the Apostle Paul says, actually, that's part of your problem. Part of your struggle and part of your difficulty. Part of your, he's going to say it, part of your anxiety that you experience is your lack of ability to be satisfied in Jesus. Why? Why are you so burdened? Why are you so freaked out all the time when you have Jesus? So we need this text. So uh, the paradox will remain. It just will. The paradox will remain. What you and I need to ask for discernment by the Holy Spirit, which God has given us, those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit gives us discernment to say, should I be content with this, Lord? Should I be content with the Christ-likeness in me? Should I be content with the amount that kingdom-mindedness is, 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 is interrupting and is absolutely invading in my life? Should I just be content? Jesus, should I be content with my life circumstances in terms of the marriage that I'm in? Those are tough questions. The Apostle Paul is going to answer all of them. Now, when we go back, here we are, we're going to be hitting these texts, and so we're going to be basically looking at like a, a part of, of this paragraph or this section of scripture that Paul encapsulates the big idea, and then we're going to read the text together and kind of unpack it. That's our goal, is to let the scriptures change us. So beginning in verse 17, the apostle Paul is going to make a very bold statement describing the life that the Lord has assigned. The life that the Lord has assigned. Now, that is such a strange statement. Now, if I, I think I can back you into believing that. I think if I were to say, who is the one who's in control of all of the universe? You would say who? God. By the way, God or Jesus always works in these, okay? Since he says he was God. God or Jesus works. So who is, who, who's in control of everything? God is. So who's the one that is aware of and in some way, and I don't know how all of this works, he has brought you to this place. Who has brought you to this place, to your life circumstances? Answer? Yeah. But I think most of us kind of feel like, the way a lot of our culture feels, is that, yeah, there's, why would God bring me to this place? This is a mess. Like, my relationships are a mess. My, my job is a mess. My financial situation is a mess. Like, I know that, I guess there's a lot of people out there that are really excited about where they are and where they're going. Not me. 
That, that was a rear view mirror position. It's, it's long past. I have a hard time believing that God assigned me to here, to this. Paul says he, he is the one that has brought you to this place. Now, as I unpack this, please hear me. I want to make sure that you know I'm not asking you to passively, passively think about or to passively just bask in the circumstances that you find yourself in. The Apostle Paul never does that. The, Paul, the Apostle Paul never says, hey, by the way, these are your circumstances in your marriage. These are the circumstances um, in your finances. These are the, your circumstances in your job. And really, what you should do is just drift. The Apostle Paul never says that. But he does say, work hard. He does say, trust. He does say, be patient. He does say, be kind. He does say, he says lots of things in the middle of it. So I'm not asking when I talk about contentment, never, ever, 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 ever read passive. This is not a passive response. It is, in fact, a very active, engaged response into the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Okay? So contentment does not mean just kind of, oh, whatever. That's not what it is. Contentment is a choice, is a decision to actively engage in the environment that you find yourself in by the peace of God, by the word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the example of Jesus Christ, for the glory of God, for the benefit of others, in my greatest joy. That's what it actually means to be content. And so the Apostle Paul is describing this life that the Lord assigned. Look at verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called them. This is my rule in all of the church and, all of the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision, which I know sounds complicated, and it is. But you need to understand that in this particular time, and since the time of Alexander the Great in about 300 BC, as the Greek way of living and, um, uh, and, and, and acting all began to like, go throughout this whole region of the world, there were a number of people of the Jewish faith that did not like the association of circumcision to their lives. And there were lots of recorded events of people that were saying, listen, yes, I was circumcised because that is my heritage, but I want to remove that. And as the Apostle Paul is going to say, like if you have that mark of circumcision, don't try to change it to somehow be more spiritual. And, and by the way, circumcision here was a spiritual response to who God is. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Meaning Gentile people who are all of a sudden now dealing with a whole book that describes um, the way God has acted to their father Abraham and circumcision is a big part of that. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. That would have been a shock to many Jewish Christians. What do you mean don't seek it? It's interesting what he says. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. That's kind of interesting because what was one of the big commandments of God in the Old Testament? Circumcised. See, something has changed with Jesus. Something has fundamentally changed with who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ is about. And the Apostle Paul wants them to know that as important and as valuable as this mark of circumcision has been, there is something greater still, and that is Jesus. 
Don't look for external markers. Don't look for these worldly ways of defining and organizing your religious activity. Whatever state you find yourself in, the Apostle Paul is going to make this repeated statement, whatever place you find yourself in, trust that God knows what he's doing. Trust that God knows. Trust that God is leading you somewhere. Trust that God is directing you. Will you trust that God has been an active, listen to this, trust that God has been an active part of your life and will continue to act in your life. Do you believe that? Many of us in theory, but not in reality. It it says in verse 20, each one should remain in the condition in which he's called were you a bondservant? Now, now, sometimes the translations will have, were you a slave? Um, because of the last, say, three or four hundred years of slavery, that not just in America, but in the West, um, and throughout, actually, um, Europe and Northern Africa and lots of different places throughout the world, because of the way that so many of us vision it and see it, I'm kind of glad they actually have this word here, were you a bondservant, which was more like the kind of slavery that existed in the, in the Roman Empire, what the Apostle Paul is dealing with. Um, is there a, a, a more of a, a servant that has agreed with a set of time, with a set of principles to, uh, to be under somebody else, their protection, their, um, uh, their provision? And the Apostle Paul says, were you a bondservant when you were called? Look at, look at this. This is, a, this is a bold statement. And don't just go, he doesn't get it. I guarantee you, he gets it better than you do. He gets it better than I do. He says this, if you were a bondservant when you were called, what does he say? Don't be concerned about it. What do you mean don't be concerned about it? <laughs> How do I not be concerned that I'm a bondservant? Okay, a form of slavery. What do you mean that I not be concerned about that? No, no, no. Like that's everything about me and especially in our day and age. Where we are so, we are, so every one of us has, every one of us has this tinge of this new social justice warrior inside of us. This text just kind of screams, what do you mean be content? What do you mean, like, does he really mean do not be concerned about it? Well, first of all, he's going to explain a little bit more. Look at what he says. But if you can gain your freedom, then avail yourself of the opportunity. For he was called in the Lord. Notice what he says here. For he was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man in the Lord. Meaning what you just had in Jesus Christ and how Jesus Christ has set you free is actually a greater reality than you being a bondservant right now. Like the church needs to hear that. The church needs to hear that the circumstances that you find yourself in, even if they're terrible circumstances, when you come to Jesus Christ, that is the ultimate trump card. And I'll be honest, the real sad part is most of us don't believe that. Most of us do not believe that Jesus Christ is so great, is so revolutionary, is so redemptive, is so restorative that that there's no way that Jesus Christ can change the circumstances. I just love hearing stories of people that are in the worst of circumstances and they sing to God. How can they do that? How can people that just endure some of the most violent forms of slavery today, how can they sing to Jesus? 
What is wrong with them? Actually, can I ask a better question? What is wrong with us that we cannot see that what we have in Jesus Christ is truly more than any circumstance that we could be going through? And, and by the way, I get it. Right now, if you're kind of going, well, he doesn't know. I, I, I'll admit it. I don't. I really don't. I don't know what you're going through. I'm not going to pretend to know what you're going through. I'm not going to pretend that what I went through is what use. And I, I might even know somebody that maybe was worse, but that doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter if I know somebody that's gone through something worse than you. It's still hard to be you. The Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is more. And here's my question. Are we going to believe that? See, that's the question. Are we going to believe when the Bible says that if you find yourself as a bondservant, as a form of a slave, just recognize that you're free in Jesus? And so many of us go, well, who cares? And, and, and now, we, now we find ourselves at odds with the text. See, that's one of the major problems with this new social justice warrior movement is we so want to liberate people. And it just, it just, I think it just underlines the concept that Jesus is not enough. We can sing it, but we don't believe it. Until we're all free. Until every Canadian who desires to be president of the United States can be president of the United States of America. I will not be satisfied. Unless I can experience the full freedoms that you Americans... I'm always fascinated when I say, I've never voted. I've lived in the States most of my voting life. And so I've never voted. And people say to me, really? I'm like, yeah, I'm a foreigner. You shouldn't let me vote, right? But if I said to you, I'm not really a full person until I can vote, tell me you would look at me and go, that's pathetic. What do you mean? What do you mean you're not a real person? Jesus is enough. And so he goes on to say, and look at how far he goes, likewise, he was free when he's called, he's a bondservant of Jesus. So if you're a bondservant, you're free in Christ. That's bigger. And by the way, if you're free, you're a bondservant of Jesus. So no matter what, we're serving people. Do you get that? Like No matter what, we're serving people. Um, I could be the lead pastor of here, or I could be not the lead pastor here, and like 98% of what we do looks the same. You could be on staff at Sunnybrook Christian Church. You could be part of the Sunnybrook Christian Church family. And like 98% of what we do looks the same. I, I would tell you that what the Apostle Paul is describing is a revolutionary, way, a revolutionary way of looking at ourselves in the world. And we embrace the fact that God called me from this place. God brought me to this place. Even this hardship. So that I might learn to trust him and to know him. Verse 23, you were bought with a price. Do not become a bondservant of men. Literally going, hey, like I'm not asking you to, to pursue that. If you can be free, free is always going to allow us to have so much more opportunity, the Apostle Paul says. But brothers, verse 24, in whatever condition each is called, let him remain with God, in essence, there. But my marriage is not doing it for me. I look around and I see others and it is for them. 
By the way, I'm speaking like hypothetically here, just, you know, just in case you're going, really, I feel so bad for Jim. I thought Andrea was doing better than that. No, she's great. She's great. But I know a lot of people that didn't, how many of you did not marry Andrea? Raise your hand if you weren't able to marry Andrea. Yeah. Wow, most of you did though, that's kind of weird. Um, the marriage isn't doing it for me. And I really don't think I'll be able to experience all that God wants for me under this, in this terrible marriage. I, I think I need to find another way out. I think I need to find, because I'll never really experience. See, it, it, the Bible doesn't just say, hey, you decided to get married. I'm sorry, that's the rule. You have to stay married. And the Bible didn't say, hey, tell you what, culture's changing, and so now we can do what we want. The Bible actually offered such a profound difference. It said, find your meaning and purpose in Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. So if my marriage isn't great, I have to just sit here passively and not do anything about it? No, that would be ignorant. No, you, you deal with it. If, if you're in an abusive situation, you get help. If you're in difficult circumstances and, and you require some counseling just to kind of process this, get some help. If you need someone to come in and to step in and to protect you, get some help. And we are a great place to help those that find themselves in difficult marriages who need assistance and help. And then in the midst of that, realize that God has you. What do you want me to say? God doesn't have you? Well, this book doesn't allow me to, whether you want to say it or not, this book doesn't say this. This book actually says, this is how you got here, God, and this is why you are here, God, and this is how we continue, God. Notice what, one of the most profound statements I've heard, I heard Matt Chandler, one of my favorite preachers down in the Dallas area, he made this comment one time when he said, listen, one of the major problems that people have is they are not content with their own, like, skin, like, with their own lives. He said, it is a sin to want to be someone other than the person that God has made you. He's not talking about a desire to become more like Jesus. He's not talking about the kind of contentment that is evil. Can you imagine if I just said, oh, man, that Brady Moore, he is so awesome. I am not going to be happy until I can have the life like Brady Moore has. Who am I arguing with when I say that? According to this text. I'm arguing with God. A lot of that, I don't like who I am. And so we try to surround you and go, but we think you're special. We think you're so special. You're a snowflake. You're special. You're a fingerprint. You are so special, right? We do that. By the way, can anybody tell that's not helping? Right? It doesn't seem to be working to just sit over people and tell them they're special, is not working. Culturally, it's not working in the church. That's why from our little bitties all the way up, we don't just say you're special. We say you were made in the image of God and you are a sinner and you need Jesus and he will give you the power of the Holy Spirit and God made you for a reason. And these are the gifts and the abilities that you have and this is how we all fit together. That is what the Bible teaches. And for me to say, unless I can be like Paul, Unless I can be like Ryan, unless I can be like Scott, unless I can be like Drew, unless I can be like, unless I can be like somebody else other than me, I'll never fully be happy. 
And unless I can have a marriage like Susan or Becky or whoever, unless I can have like a retirement like so-and-so, unless I can have like a golf score like so-and-so, unless I can have a spiritual thing, unless I can have the ability to worship God like Steve or Kyle, or unless I can have, I'll never really be. Paul says that's sin. And I'm telling you, we need to start lovingly call it sin. The reason why you're not happy is because you don't trust God with who you are. I'm not asking you to passively accept who you are. I'm asking you to joyfully engage God's plan for you and realize you're you for a reason. You get that? You get that you're you for a reason? That's so much better than you're special. You can just tell. You can just tell. Look at how this continues. The Apostle Paul has a reason for all of this in view of the present distress. That's what he's going to talk about here. Paul isn't just randomly giving an idea. Whenever we read the Bible, we need to realize that Paul is not speaking into a vacuum. He's not just reaching through 2,000 years of history and going, hey, for people in Stillwater, I got some news for you. No, Paul is describing to a people that live in Corinth in the mid-50s, early 60s, Paul is giving them advice on how they should live their lives. Verse 25. Is that 25? It's 25. Now concerning the betrothed, meaning those that have contractually agreed to marry somebody else. So it's not like our culture where it's like, hey, will you marry me? Yes, I'll marry you. And most of those work, but if they don't, it's not a big deal. No, it's more of a contractual obligation between families. That's why when uh, Joseph and Mary, when Mary got pregnant, remember this one? Great Christmas story, okay? Um, When Mary got pregnant, Joseph was ready to divorce her. They're betrothed, but there would be a divorce necessary in order to separate. Does that make sense? So Paul says, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. So I don't have a word from Jesus on this, but I am an apostle, and I'm pretty wise, and I get it, and so I need you to listen to me. That's how the apostle Paul is speaking. I think that in view of the present distress, now we don't know what that is. Some scholars wonder if it has something to do with the famine that is existing in this part of the world, one of the reasons why an offering is going to be taken for the, for the Christians in Jerusalem. Most believe that the present distress, this is used two other times in the New Testament, where it is describing just the, the tension and the stress on the church in light of the second coming of Jesus Christ. That what we would, we kind of, This has got so blown out of proportion, but we would kind of think of it as the tribulation, which is just by the word for like this crisis that exists. Paul says, in light of the circumstances, because culture is getting harder to be a Christian, and therefore it's going to be more difficult to raise a family, it's going to be more difficult to have children and to to care for a wife. And the Apostle Paul says, because of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you've not sinned. He dealt with that earlier in chapter 7. Marriage in itself is not some great way to find Jesus, and singleness is not some great way to find Jesus. He confronts a lot of the bad teaching happening in Corinth. And if a betrothed woman marries, she's not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you of that. If you marry, you have worldly troubles. Now, I don't think the Apostle Paul is going, yeah, because you know how marriage is. It's really hard. No? I think he's just describing, the the big picture of what he's describing here is just the weight of marriage. 
Like, let's just not get into the, oh yeah, marriage is hard, and Andrea can be like this, and you know men, Jim can be like, and you just kind of feel overwhelmed by the fact that, man, it'd be a whole lot easier, it would, if I didn't have like a wife that I had to care for. Just the weight of that. And three small boys. Just the weight of that. I think why a lot of people are running away from marriage is because, man, I'd, I'd rather try to figure out another way to do the, the emotional stress, um, the relational demands. And I have a hard enough time coming home and just not wanting to lose it. Man, it'd be a whole lot easier if I wasn't married. All I had to do, all I'd have to take care of is myself. The Apostle Paul's kind of describing that. When I get it. And in a time and in an age where it's going to be more complicated for you to feed a whole family, in a time and an age where it's going to be more difficult for you to hold on to a job in light of your commitment to Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul says, I, I really need you to consider this in light of the present crisis, the present distress, different translations put it in different ways, it's good for you to remain single. I want to spare you of the worldly troubles, the worldly weight of marriage, which, by the way, says that marriage actually does have those additional responsibilities and should. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Let those who mourn as though they were not mourning. Let those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. Those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For this present form of the world is passing away. Now, again, we're going to think about this. We're not just going to read the Bible. and Well, it says that if you have, have a marriage, act like you don't have one. We can be irresponsible. No, because the Apostle Paul also said, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. So these verses need to be held together. And what is it saying? Basically what it's saying is, for those of us that have a marriage, and we need to have marriage, and we have to have a marriage, and it's so, so I'll marry anybody, I'll marry anybody, who is he? I'll, I'll take him. I'll take her, I'll take her. I mean, she said hi to me twice, I'll take her, right? Is she a follower of Jesus Christ? Who cares? She went to church with me two times. I'll take her, right? And then you get married, and you're like, okay, why did I do this? This is a lot harder. It's, it's, a, it's harder to be married than it is to date, I promise you. And so we decide, man, I just, I, I got to be married. Married is heaven. Single is hell. And so we have this marriage. And then we, we live as though we're married and everything is married. And we, we're married and everything is all about marriage. And the weight of that will just crush you. Because when your marriage starts not going well, because every marriage struggles. And if you don't have anything that is underneath that, right, that's holding that together. It's just marriage. All of a sudden, Andrea's not as interested in marriage. Like, it feels like my world is falling apart. When anybody comes to me and says, my world is falling apart because my marriage is falling apart, I want to say, why did you put your marriage as the center of your world? That makes no sense to me. You need to live your life as though you're not married. That doesn't mean don't love and don't care for and don't serve. No, Jesus and Paul have already taken care of how that works. But don't live as though marriage is your life. Okay? Love my wife. I say this all the time. She's never been angry when I say this. If something happens to her, I'll be fine. If something happens to me, she'll be more fine. Kids. Well, that's the most important thing in the world. Once the kids are there, they're the center of the world. They have to be the center of the world. I mean, I've, I've gotten, I don't get a lot of like hate mail. I have had a, I don't like it when you talk about our kids that way. And I get it. 
Because when you step on people's idols, they get mad. When you kind of slap their hands and say that really shouldn't be an idol, they get upset. But when you make your children, why anybody would make a five-year-old the center of their universe makes no sense to me at all. Or an 18-year-old or a 20-year-old. It makes no sense to me. Paul says if you, in essence, kind of an extension, if you have a family, if you have a job, if you've got a business, and you make that everything, I want what hasn't disappointed you? Anything? How many of you have been disappointed by your career, marriage, kids, right? Is there anything that hasn't disappointed you? Jesus. Now, honestly, when I think back, and every time I thought he did, it was just me being ignorant of what he promised. Every time I felt like Jesus somehow did not follow through, it was my ignorance, not him. That's what Paul means by, man, if you're living as though your job is everything, I'm telling you, good luck, because that's coming crashing down. I don't know anybody that's been able to work forever. I don't know anybody that's been able to be married forever. I don't know anyone that's been able to like, I mean, honestly, even on this great Mother's Day and all the wonderful things that you moms have done, and I'm so grateful for the work that you've done, the greatest moms are the ones that have Jesus at the center. And they allow their children to build their lives on Jesus, not mommy. Not mommy, daddy, Jesus. Do you get that? Like that's so, and that's what Paul is saying here. For those of you that have kids, Olivia, for those that have a little kid, Bethany, for those that have a little child right inside of you, and that is just awesome, right? And you're so excited, and you should be excited about that. If that becomes the center of your world, they will all disappoint. The only one that doesn't disappoint is Jesus. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Paul says this, why are we doing all of this? Because he wants us to be free from anxieties. Who would like one more thing to worry about? Raise your hand, anybody? Come on, one more thing. I can give you one more thing to worry about. Apostle Paul says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. How to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things. How to please his wife. So in this sense, it's not worldly like it's bad. It's worldly like it's temporary. Andrea and I are not going to be in heaven all freaked out about how to please one another. We won't be. And his interests are divided, and the unmarried or the betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and in spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. Paul's not even saying that's a bad thing. It's just one more thing to take care of, like puppies. It's just one more thing to take care of. They're not bad, they're cute, but they're one more thing to take care of. And the Apostle Paul says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. I want you to be free from anxieties. And again, whenever you take something other than Jesus and you put it at the center, you might as well just sign up for anxiety because it's going to let you down. It's going to, I promise you. And Paul's saying, why would you want to add an anxiety to your life? Why would you want to do this? I, my desire is for you to find your peace and your hope in Jesus Christ and there alone. So, do you get the reason why all of this is happening? 
I, I just have, I really don't. I've got people coming, they're freaking out about their job, they're freaking out about their family, they're freaking out about the economy. They're, I just have nobody coming in and really freaking out about Jesus. And now, th- this is where I feel really, I mean, convicted, deeply convicted this past week working through this, is that when I meet people with anxiety, I don't spend enough time asking them, like, what they're building on and what they're trusting, and I need to spend more time there. And you spend more time encouraging people, well, maybe, maybe the reason why you're so freaked out about your job is that you think if you don't have that job, and if that job's not satisfying you, then you don't have a life, and that's actually a lie. I'm not telling you to quit your job. I'm not telling you to not work. I'm just telling you maybe your job isn't God. And maybe the reason why you're freaking out because the way your kids are acting is because you have put too much of a burden on your children, too much of a burden on your job, too much of a burden on the United States government, too much of a burden on you name it. You can put too much of a burden on Sunnybrook Christian Church. We, sad to say this, the broken part of us will let you down. And the Jesus part of us never could. Paul says, I want you to be free from anxiety. I wonder, spend some time this week asking how much of my own anxious thoughts and attitudes are because of the way that I look at things and the lack of contentment I have, the lack of belief that God is in control, the lack of belief. Paul concludes by saying this, for all of you that are going, man, all these he statements at the very beginning, what about us women? Well, Paul's going to conclude by talking about a personal example, and he says she's happier if she remains as she is. She really is. She's happier if she just remains as she is. Last example, verse 36, if anyone thinks that they're not behaving properly towards his betrothed, meaning if you're engaging in sex before you are married, If his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessary, but having a desire, their desires under, their sexual desires, what he's implying there, under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as the betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Why? Because of all the concerns. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whomever she wishes, but only in the Lord, meaning marry a believer. Yet in my judgment, she is happier. This is what Jesus says. She's happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God, meaning I think I got this one right. Like Paul really does believe, as crazy it might sound in our culture, That no matter what circumstances you find yourself in, no matter what your health is, no matter what your job is, no matter what your marriage is, no matter what your kids are, no matter what country you're living in, no matter who's the president of the United States, no matter who's going to be the president of the United States, no matter if Alabama wins another national championship, no matter, even if OU wins a national championship, like all those things, none of that matters as long as Jesus Christ is the center of your life. Church, do you believe that? Let's live like that. That's what makes stronger marriages. That's what makes healthy families. That's what makes great careers that are a gift from God. Jesus at the center. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 says this. Godliness with great contentment, or with contentment, is great gain. Like knowing how to be like Jesus Christ, and then as I pursue him, 
I really am just content with that. Man, that's a good thing. May we be that kind of church. May our marriages model that. As we walk into the workplace tomorrow, may we serve our employers well because we are content. We're not bitter, we're not angry. When we walk to school tomorrow, for those of us that are still in the school environment, may we respect and appreciate what education can do and what it can't do. And we give it all there for Jesus. When we honor our moms, can we love our moms for who they are today and be grateful for who they are today? Not who they haven't been. Just realize that even the ones that struggle are a gift from God. Let's stand and close with prayer. Um, I want our time, uh, we're going to have our corporate prayer as we dismiss. One of the reasons how this kind of fits very naturally is why we can give so freely to this. I want to remind you to make sure your cards go in at the very end. Um, is contentment. A real contentment with my place in life and my purpose in life. And even though my kids will not see as little kids, the building that is to be, that's okay because that was God's plan. (laughs) And so it's a joy to give anyway. And I'm excited, not just about what's going to happen there, but what's happening in us. And may we truly be content for the glory of God, for the benefit of others, and for our joy. Let's pray. God, thank you. First, I want to give you praise and thanks for the conviction of our own brokenness. God, every one of us has trusted something other than you to provide meaning and purpose. Job, education, career, family. These good things that you've given us have become central things and they have disappointed us and they have made us mad and angry and they've caused us to sin. And thank you for Jesus, the remedy of all things. And I pray, God, that we would remember what it means to put him at the center. May we love then our family well. May we love our career well. May we love our nation well. May we love our spouses well in light of them being a gift from you. And Father, may we remember just how important it is to find a contentment. So whether we build or don't build, Father, we leave that to you. For we know that you are great and have everything under control. It's in the incredible name of Jesus we all give you thanks and praise. And all God's people said, amen. Love you guys. Would love to continue this faith conversation if you want to. If not, head that way. And God bless. Have a great week.